Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of today's episode. I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Lynn Jeffers, the Chief Medical Officer for St. John's Hospital Camarillo, previously known as Pleasant Valley, and part of Dignity Health, which is a part of the bigger organization, Common Spirit. In today's episode, Dr. Jeffers talks about how she grew up in Camarillo, California, journeyed out to Michigan for med school, and ultimately convinced her husband to come back to where she has lots of roots in Camarillo, and now serves again as the chief medical officer for their Camarillo campus. And there's also an Oxnard campus that has the Integrated Breast Center. And since we are in October, we definitely emphasize part of this episode so that Dr. Jeffers can share a little bit about how the Integrated Breast Center is impacting so many women's lives, not just in Ventura, County, but folks who are coming up from LA, folks who are coming up from Central California to really get some great resources that come at no cost. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Elf Podcast by visiting us at popelfpodcast.com, our YouTube channel, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your shows. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the show. Well, Dr. Jeffers, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, as you may know, we like to start the show not so much talking about healthcare or business, but really getting to know the guest a little bit. So can you share with us something about you that might be uh, surprising, a hobby, fun fact outside of the workplace? Well, I don't know. I was laughing because I'm thinking here, what is that surprising about me? So probably for the people who know me and know who I am might be surprised that there was one time I was called into the dean's office as a medical school student. Um, <laughs> it was it was during the Clinton healthcare years and I was in med school and I realized that most of us were not getting a full picture of what the healthcare debate was about as med students. So a group of us decided to put on a health, national health policy forum and we invited the most liberal to the most conservative. We thought we'd get all that information and people in between. And then I wrote this letter to Hillary Clinton, who was of course heading the whole thing. Now I'm dating myself and saying that, you know, we were having this event, University of Michigan, explaining what we were doing. And look, if you're interested, we'd love to hear from you. Of course, didn't expect to hear anything uh, didn't expect you know a couple months go by and I get called into the dean's office and thank goodness he knew me from other committees that we'd worked together on and he said um so we received this letter from the White House and it says that Hillary Clinton would like to you know unfortunately has to decline the invitation to speak and none of us here we're all scratching our heads like could figure out who invited her yep. um and she, he said so then I said I think I know who to ask. And so I brought you in here. So did you invite Hillary Clinton to speak at our med school? And I'm like, well, not exactly in those terms, you know, and it went from there. And I said, I don't know if I should be offended or flattered that you first thought to come and ask me if I invited Hillary Clinton to speak. So that was some, for people who know, I would never usually get in trouble and, and to get called to the dean's office would be a bit surprising. That is, uh, that is good stuff. I, um, a uh, quick, quick related note, I guess you can say I invited Obama to an event and uh, got no response. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. And honestly, that was the debate of the day. It's still the debate now. Right. And um, it was just wouldn't it be great to hear from her? And, you know, when you're young, you're like, why not? You know, that's yeah. how you're like, why not? 
Good for you. Well, clearly, as a young lady, uh, you had some ambition, and that's uh, taking you to where you are today. But before we get into your you know, current day role or roles, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up. Uh, I know you were a Wolverine, so tell us about that journey. Oh, blue. Um, I grew up in California, um, and I... Uh, the reason people always say, why did you go to Michigan? You know, well, I got accepted into med school out of high school. So that kind of made the decision for me because it was hard to turn that down. Of course, I had to pull out the map and make sure I knew where Michigan was and what the state capital was. So I didn't sound <laughs> like an idiot, but that um, brought me there. And when I interviewed out there, um, I had gone to this party of the other people in this program and the people were just genuinely nice people. And this sounds sort of funny, but, you know, we're at this party and when we were done, it was out of one of the people's houses because he lived in town and his parents were out. And um, when we were all done, the guys started cleaning up the house. And I thought, who does that? You know, who does that? Who cleans up after a party? And I just thought, these are people I want to be around. This is the type of community I want to be in. Not to mention the fact that you got accepted into med school out of high school. So the winters were a little bit of a shock, but Ann Arbor is the quintessential college town with that campus. And of course, you can't beat the Wolverine team when it comes to football in the big house, whether we win or not. So yeah. um, basically, that's how I ended up as a Wolverine in Michigan. Okay, cool. So big house. I know what stadium you're talking about. Yes. 100,000 people. Yes. Um, I'm a big soccer fan, which is the yes. real football. No offense. <laughs> yeah, in Europe for sure. Um, and I think one of the biggest attendances for soccer was there. And I'm sure with football, you guys have had massive crowds. I know OSU is your big rival. Oh, yeah. Uh, out there. So what? I hope we become better rivals soon. <laughs> I know it's been some tough years. Yeah. Um, so really quickly, um, I did not know, and forgive me, this could be ignorance, that high school students, when you say accepted to med school, so I have a buddy who like went on a three-year track with UC Riverside. Mm -hmm. So do you, when you get accepted to med school out of high school, is there like, basically it's a pathway, like you're going to do some undergrad here and then here's where your grad school will be, or how does that happen? Yeah, this was a special program that Michigan had at the time. Their idea was just to create more humanistic, holistic physicians, you know, that were not spending their whole undergrad just trying to get into med school and that you would start early into a into a structured thought out program that would expose you to ethics and expose you to other things that you normally might not have done in in, in undergrad because you're trying to get into med school. And so it was at the time that I went through, it was a seven year program. And uh, we you knew that you were in med school as long as you didn't really mess up or as long as you didn't change your mind also. But um uh, you, it was just a great program. Only 44 were accepted by, you know, our year to each year to go in. And, um, you were, I could spend my undergrad doing things like I took business law, I took accounting, I took anthropology, I took voice, you know, uh, didn't help my voice, but, um, you know, it was just allowed you to be, to explore all those other areas you might not have been able to do if I, you were just trying to get to that next step. Okay. Awesome. Cool. So, at, so before you went to Michigan, what inspired you to get into medicine? Well, um, to start with, it was a couple, I guess my, I've always wanted to become a doctor since I was young. I, I'm told, I actually do remember drawing it when I was about six years old, you know, they have you draw, what do you want to be when you grow up and why, and you put it up on open house. And, um, and I, I remember, cause I wrote that I want to be a doctor because number one, I wanted to help people. Number two, I wanted to figure out what people's figure out people's bodies. And number three, I wanted to eat in the hospital cafeteria. And everyone <laughs> thought that was just hilarious. Right. But um, as it turns out, my dad was a general surgeon okay. and he was in training at the time and he just 
just in the old days, especially he spent every single waking moment in the hospital. And the only time we could go see him, we would sit in the lobby and wait and wait and wait and hope that he had five minutes to come out and see us. And during those five, 10 minutes, we would go to the hospital cafeteria and grab something to eat. And so I guess I just associated the hospital cafeteria you know, with being a doctor. And anyway, mostly I think I was inspired by him, but yeah. I used to go with him to the hospital. I used to later on and see patients with him. And when we were older, we actually worked in his office and just wow. how much of a difference he made in people's lives. You know, it was those days where you, um, I mean, we were, we literally were paid in chickens sometimes or oranges, you know, it was just what difference he could make in people's lives. I think that's really what it came down to. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this, uh, before we uh, started recording for the show, you mentioned uh, your baby or one of your, ch you know, a child is going off to college, uh, yes. Wolverine medicine or, or something different. So I have two children and the one child is actually um, um, second year med student at Columbia. Okay. And the second one just started her undergraduate years and she thinks she's pre-med. So we'll see what happens. Wow. So three generations is it, is, or is there more than three? Did no, no. My parents were the first ones to go to college um, in their respective families. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. So today you and you're ending up at the Dignity Health or St. John's in Ventura County. Mm -hmm. um, tell us what, how you ended up uh, connecting with Dignity Health in Ventura County and the St. John's campuses. Oh, how I ended up there. I mean, how I ended up here in the meta sense is a convergence of a number of things in my life. But uh, as far as actually here, you already heard that at med school, out of high school, then um, when I finished that, um, my husband and I, my husband's an orthopedic surgeon, we ended up still in Michigan. He actually was on faculty at Michigan for a while, waiting for me to finish training. And then when we were done, we said, I said, you know, this is our one chance to try to get back to California. If it doesn't happen, I know we're going to be here for good. So after we, uh, um, it was a tough choice, but ultimately we decided to come out to California. I was employed, uh, semi-academic employment for a while in LA, and then uh, ultimately decided to move back to the community I grew up in. So I'm actually back where I grew up in. I actually volunteered at St. John's um, Pleasant Valley Hospital at that time. Now it's been named to St. John's Hospital Camarillo. When I was in high school, I volunteered here. And, and a lot of the docs here knew me when I was yay big. So I'm constantly reminded of that too. Um, that is awesome. And, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, I was interested in health policy, as my other story told you. And so I was really involved in um, organized medicine, like the American Medical Association, and, and then later on, my specialty society, American Society of Plastic Surgeons. And so I now started on the Council of Medical Service for AMA and then the past immediate past president for ASPS. But that third path, and then the reason there's a couple paths, it all ends up in one place, which is where I am now. And that last path was about leadership development and strategic planning and innovation, something that I've been really passionate about. And as part of that and combining all the things that I just said, we helped to spearhead the Integrated Breast Center, which I know we'll talk about later here at St. John's. And as I did that for a few years, I was approached and they said, you know, we'd really like you to be chief medical officer of this hospital, St. John's, then Pleasant Valley. We haven't ever had a chief medical officer here. It would be a new position. So I really have this opportunity to build. And since I love those types of opportunities where you get to mold and shape and really have an impact, um, sort of white spaces, I call them. Um, so basically, that's how I ended up here. Wow, awesome. So audience, um, some of you who are not, you know, California based uh, may not be aware of where Ventura County is. So Dr. Jeffers, I'm aware I went to college up the road in Santa Barbara, yes. the 101. Yes. 
my wife loves the Camarillo outlets uh, yes. <laughs> over there. And uh, when I grew up here, it was very agricultural slash suburban, right? Um, you know, our our high schools, which is still there, was surrounded all by fields. If you played, if you ditched school, there wasn't a whole lot of places to go right around the high school. But we are halfway between Santa Barbara and LA. We've grown quite a bit since the time I was a kid. But uh, it's a great community. It's a great family community. It's a you know, it's got wonderful weather. Probably at one time rated like the third best place you know to live in the country um it's just far enough away from la but close enough to still enjoy all the culture and everything else you'd want from la uh, absolutely uh, i have very pleasant memories in uh in ventura county first time i ever played golf was at spanish hills uh yes uh i grew up low income and so golf wasn't you know a part of my yeah. uh area but uh i met a girl at a preview day from San up in santa barbara for college and she was a debutante and Oh wow! Country club member, so that Spanish Hills Country Club uh, has fond memories for me. Oh uh, yes, it's beautiful. I remember when they were building it. We almost had our wedding there. Yeah. Oh yeah, beautiful location. So folks, check it out if you get a chance. Ventura County, great spot. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Dr. Jeffers, tell us a little bit about the. So St. John's is part of Dignity Health, which is part of Common Spirit. And there in Ventura County, um, you are supporting, in a sense, two different hospitals or campuses. Tell us briefly about St. John's in Ventura County. So, as you said, there's two hospitals here in, that are part of our system. St. John's Regional Medical Center was one that was founded back in, I think, 1912 by the Sisters of Mercy. It has um, 265 beds, which includes an acute rehab um, unit, um, which is, you know, not as easy to find. We also have a brand new neonatal intensive care unit, which we're really proud of. Um, we have this excellent, um, I think we're the first stroke-capable um, thrombectomy site uh, and the only one in the county. Um, and so uh, we're really proud of all of our programs here. It also has our um, uh, nationally accredited breast center program there with a satellite at uh, Camarillo. And then we have the hospital in Camarillo, which originally was not part of the system. Um, and it was founded back in the 70s by a group of um, influential Camarillo residents who said, we really need a great hospital here for the community. And so they started back in the 70s. That one actually is licensed for 130 beds. We have uh, 72 of those are a subacute long-term care unit. And um, we just opened up a brand new tower, um, twenty like the end of 2018. And um, both hospitals have been ahead of their time because we really had private rooms back since the 70s and the 80s wow. for uh, regional. So that was something that was not true in the old days. So very proud of our hospitals and our program here. And most importantly, just proud of the people who work at it. Yeah, that's awesome. I haven't been, so I've been to the both campuses uh, in my career. And I didn't realize when I think of the Camarillo location, I think of Pleasant Valley, it's old name. I think yeah. I think off the air, folks, I, well, I was talking when I was talking to Dr. Jeffers, I still called that Pleasant Valley. Shame yeah. on me. No, <laughs> no, we just changed our name. I still call it Pleasant Valley because I forget. OK, thank you. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> but when I think of a tower like in little, you know, sleepy Camarillo, that's like a big deal. Right. So yeah. were, you, were you around like planning? Was that like a, a bureaucratic like hurdle you guys had to get past or was that a pretty easy planning um, thing to do in, in such a uh, quiet town? Well, you know, it's uh, something that needed to be done and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful campus and it's not like it's a huge tower, like, you know, 10, 10 floors high or anything. It's just three floors. And of course, everything has to go through planning and of course, approval. But I think everyone recognized how important it is that we have a strong hospital and just everyone was really excited to have this brand new hospital. That hospital, if you've ever been to it, 
uh, was planned back in the 70s. And so it uh, looked like it came from the 70s. And, and there were some really cool architectural things that I remember when I was in high school, we were really proud of, but each of the, none of the rooms were square, you know, because it was supposedly this new design thing for earthquakes, but really made, you know, our day-to-day lives logistics a little bit more difficult. So the brand new hospital has regular square, you know, rectangular rooms. Okay, awesome. Cool. So our audience, which we shared before recording today, you know, it's mostly healthcare professionals. Um, so this is the public can listen and watch as well. But can you share with us while we're all healthcare professionals, for the most part that are watching or listening, the CMO role, chief medical officer, a lot of us may not know kind of what that actually means. So can you give us at a high level, uh, kind of what that means and, and your role? Well, I think that some of us don't know because I think it depends on where you are and how it's being utilized at different sites. Um, But the interesting thing is, you know, I think originally it evolved as a liaison between the medical staff, your physicians and the hospital, especially when more more people had been practicing independently and in their own practices and trying to help um, bridge the gap between sometimes what a hospital needs to have happen and what the physicians need, et cetera, to get that to be more aligned. as things have evolved, though, and I actually was just reading an article about this, about the evolving role of the CMO, you're also here to help link all aspects of the hospital care. You're here as an integrating force. In general, traditionally, we're in charge of quality and safety on campus, of credentialing and or helping to um, facilitate credentialing and peer review that the medical staff does. We're also here to look at utilization, like length of stay, prior auth making, I mean, not prior auth, but physician advisors looking to make sure that people admitted under the correct status and resource use. But there's also other components of it. Um, It can be about physician practice evaluation or helping with the program growth or strategy. And those last few are the places where I think that sometimes in some places we're underutilized. And I was just on a panel where we were talking about this. Really, if you look at some of the studies, and Beckers has reported on this, the hospitals and the health systems that have physicians at at the forefront have better quality and efficiency and actually metrics in general and financial status um, than ones that are not. And so um, it's been proven that if you involve your CMOs in ways and highly utilize them, it can really be great for the bottom line, as well as the care and quality for your hospital and your health system. But I do want to add one thing that's been interesting. I had another conversation with somebody who was saying that the CMO role has been expanding, that there are companies, especially in the tech world, who you think wouldn't need a CMO, who are now hiring CMOs because of what they bring to the table and the their perspective and the healthcare perspective. And as you know, healthcare reaches so many things now in tech and whatever industry it is, that there are many more opportunities for physician leaders than there have been in the past. Yeah, no, awesome. And the physician, you mentioned uh, the physician advisor role. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know, like, for example, case management had like a physician advisor role until recently. And there's a conference this month about it. So, yeah, um, yeah cool to hear that you're expanding. Now, you, um, so the CMO role over the last 18 months with the pandemic, it's probably been like anything you've ever seen. So while we don't want this episode and we want to get to some other topics, could you briefly share over the last 18 months, like, how your role has changed or maybe like uh, just a briefly a challenge or success story that stands out to you. Yes, absolutely. For everyone, the last 18 months was just a challenge. I, um, 
at the, so my experience might not be as typical, but I was chief medical officer of St. John's Pleasant Valley. I mean, see, I said it myself, Hospital Camarillo as well. Um, but at the time was also covering regional. And so two hospitals. And I was also happened to be the president of the American Society of Plastic Surgeons at the time. So I was also leading that COVID response. And so I have to say during those 18 months, I and not exaggerating, slept three hours a night for those times. And then when we tried to roll out the vaccine, I think I probably had an hour and a half of sleep during that time period, which we can get into at one point if you ever wanted to. Wow. But I think um, I, in talking to my colleagues across the country, one thing that COVID really pointed out to us was a couple things. Number one, how important it was, especially in things like this, to have that clinical perspective for the first time. You know, I think a lot of health systems and other people recognized uh, that it was important to have physician leaders. But number two, how much collaboration, agility, and innovation made a difference across the country, those success stories. So you asked me to give you an example. Um, yes. The first one that came to mind would be convalescent plasma. You might have heard about it in the news. Um, the idea was at the time, remember in the beginning there, we didn't have anything, right, really to give these people. We didn't really know what was going to work or not. And this idea that was being used for um, previous pandemics like SARS, et cetera, was to take the blood or the plasma of somebody who'd already been infected and survived yep. and then infuse that to somebody who is newly diagnosed. And um, so one of our physicians happened to have taken care of the very first one in the county, very first patient. And he had another one that was now in the ICU that, that we didn't have any options for. And he came to me as CMO and said, said you know, I want to do this. How do we do this? And obviously time is of the essence. The guy is on the ventilator, whatever. So basically within a span of two hours pulled in everyone we thought needed to be in the room which is myself, the pathologist, the lab people, the um, legal, um, our IRB, which is our um, for research and um, all critical care, you know, everybody you could think of. And we've basically said, if we want to do this, how do we do this legally and ethically and hammered it out? It took us about two hours. We hammered it out, figured it out, cleared it with legal, and we were able to go ahead and do that by the next day, by, by that morning. So it was just an amazing time where people were like, let's do this, you know, let's figure things out. We've got to do what's right by the patient. And um, so many examples of that where, you know, I've got, went to my CEO when we, there were first testing and we were starting to go back to surgery and said, we've got to test all these people, but we don't know, you know, some people have different insurances. We might not be able to test them. And he said, nope, do the right thing. We will just make the testing free and yes. we're just going to open up a tent, you know, and that's the, I mean, that's just a testament to what we stand for as a, well, as a health system, as you know, Common Spirit's the largest nonprofit health system in the world, but just sort of that basic mission that we're all here for, it reminded all of us why we went into healthcare in the first place. Yeah. So healthcare moving quickly. How about that? Legal, yeah. Can you like, imagine? <laughs> legal, you said like something about you, you knocked everything out in a couple hours, including getting legal approval. Like, yeah, that hey. would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> so there's hope that that we can move quickly in healthcare. That's good news and a great, great example uh, right there. So thank you for sharing about the CMO role. Let's jump over to the St. John's Integrated Breast Center. And I've never heard, like I, I've known about, you know, breast cancer and breast treatments and things like that, but I've never heard of a, a specific department known as an Integrated Breast Center. So can you kind of briefly share what that means and what that is? 
Sure. So to give you context, we talked about Go Blue and Wolverines, and I trained there. And Michigan had the very first comprehensive breast center in the country. So that's the background I was coming in with. And then uh, when I was employed and as semi-academic, I was working at a cancer institution. So um, when I first got here, there was a core group of people who were really passionate about cancer. And we would have each other sell. If we got a patient, I'd call some or somebody call me and say, can you get this person in? So we really had that. But what we didn't have was this actual center. And also what we didn't have was it, it depended on where the patient started out with. And if they weren't part of some, you know, that group, you sometimes they wouldn't see me until things were already decided. So, okay. and in plastic surgery, there's times where if you are not seen, um, you know, that certain decisions make a difference of what your choices are later. At any rate, um, the group of us just said, you know, we need to create a center where we basically codify formally what we're actually already doing. And then what we wanted it to be was sort of this one-stop shop, which is what the Michigan one was like, where you could come and we would treat you, it would be patient-centered, it would be about you as a whole patient, not you as a disease. And then actually approaching cancer as a team, like team care approach. Yeah. Because cancer is so multidisciplinary. Uh, I mean, you have to have the oncologist, you have to have the radiation oncologist, you have to have the surgeon, you know, all these, the genetics, the people who are doing the clinical trials, the nutritionists, social work, all of that you sort of needs to all be in the room if you want to treat the whole person and get them through this whole journey. And so that was a plan. It took us a while to get it all done, but um, we ultimately uh, had the ribbon cutting, I think, um, next year in October will be our 10th year anniversary. I can't even believe that. And part of that was we wanted to get accreditation. So we got accreditation from the National Accreditation Program for Breast Centers. And I think there's only 36 in California that have it. But we really wanted to show people like we're meeting national standards and we're going by what is the, you know, the most cutting edge of the day. And so we've sort of stood by that and been recognized by a number of grants that you and I were talking about before, including the Avon Foundation, the Plastic Surgery Foundation, Cientra Meadowlarks. I mean, it's just been a labor of love and the community behind us. And I think the best part about it is the patients. And we have people, since everything is free at the center, the services we offer, wow. um, we have patients referring some of their friends who came from like Woodland Hills or Paso Robles, you know, just because uh, they had such a great experience with us. So, so tell me, you said everything is free at the center. So the center offers things like, um, well, we have support groups, of course, we have wigs, we have, um, we have yoga, we have relaxation therapy, um, social work, we actually have a grant for a um, nutrition counseling. So we have a certified nutritionist um, dietitian who is certified in oncology nutrition. Okay. And you can actually get a free um, visit with her where she can talk to you about, you know, eating to beat cancer and eating, you know, to keep cancer at bay. And we actually put together breast and bows. And actually, we had that before we were officially a cancer center. And she's always one of our, their favorite speakers. And then finally, most importantly, I think is part of the center, creating the center was to create, to have a, a nurse navigator. So Alicia Zaragoza is our patient navigator. And she was the very first nurse navigator in the area. And as a result of that, talking about pebbles and ripples, she actually helped other sites in our and other hospitals in our area who also wanted to create similar things to help them set up their nurse, their navigators. So, you know, one one good idea and hope to spread that and and um, improve the journey of our cancer patients in the area. But can I ask you about your like that you're a survivor as well? Like, do you mind if I do that? Yeah. Or rather? Okay. Yeah. No, I was diagnosed in 2018. And, uh, you know, ultimately had my chemo, my radiation, my surgery, multiple surgeries, and um, just, you know, like, 
it's ironic, but at the end of the day, um, somebody said, isn't it ironic you got breast cancer and this is what you do? Because my um, practice, obviously, for reconstruction involves breast cancer. I said, well, you, it, theoretically, it's ironic. But when you think about the fact that one in eight women get breast cancer, it's actually probably intellectually know that I probably, you know, there's a good chance I was going to get it at one point, you know, um, but I could experience firsthand you know, how much it means to have a team behind you that you trust and a team that you know, which I actually didn't talk about. So if we go back, I know we should talk about, but a team that you know is meeting and talking about you all in one room. Um, that just, that just, um, you know, there's so many other things to worry about. You don't want to have to worry about that part of it. And you know, just know that there's somewhere where you can go to get your questions answered. And I think, you know, even though I do this, um, I, was surprised. I was in a different, uh, somebody interviewed asking about this perspective and made me think about it. I was surprised that even though I do this, how you're feeling certain areas where you just don't have control and that you actually still have questions, even though we meet, you know, twice a month about breast cancer. Yeah. And I remember thinking, gosh, if I feel this, I can only imagine what somebody else feels who's not in this space at all. Um, yeah, so, so, you said one in eight, um, you know, have breast cancer and, you know, there's so much out there about getting your mammogram done annually. Why do you think women still don't get mammograms or still don't get themselves checked in a timely manner? What are the issues with that? <laughs> well, um, first of all, it's um, life is busy. You know, I, I think about even myself, you know, I think you mean to, and you don't even realize that a year has gone by, that it's time for your mama. And next thing you know, after between kids and between your work and between everything else that you're doing, suddenly it's two and a half years or three years. And you realize, oh my goodness, I really have been gone that long from getting my mammo. Um, there's also just, some people just feel invincible. You intellectually know that you're at risk. And I intellectually knew that, but no matter how you intellectualize it at the end of the day, when you do, when you are diagnosed, it's just a shock. And yet at the same time, we all know that, that that's a chance, right? Yeah. And also there are some people, I mean, I don't think it's just women. Everyone's the same way about all of this stuff, about healthcare and about not be, being able to do the things that we know are good for our health. But this is the part we're trying to combat is that people sometimes don't know the signs and symptoms or they have some misinformation like, well, if it hurts, then it's not breast cancer. And that's not always true. Um, and so that's why we've been having our symposiums and things we do. But the last part is just some people actually don't have access. They're either afraid of the cost or they're afraid of um, physicians or, or they don't have access to healthcare. And, and that those things we try to combat with, we have some programs for low income and people who can't afford their mammogram, especially people who are under the age, but maybe have family history or a new lump. Um, we do have um, some resources for them. So, um, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, so I know most of our audiences, as I mentioned earlier, are healthcare professionals, but yeah. for those that are listening, whether it's public or healthcare professionals, you hear what she said. She said, there's resources, mammograms don't have to be an expensive thing, or money doesn't have to be a reason necessarily to not get yourself checked. Right. So, um, as I shared with Dr. Jeffers uh, off the air, there's, you know, I have someone in my circles, uh, friends, family who, you know, are dealing with this. Yeah. So, um, I think it's uh, it's a, a very fresh topic. And what's really interesting, uh, folks, I have to admit, is um, it's October. And I was like, when, jo when Dr. Jeffers was able to interview, I was like, this is perfect timing. <laughs> so um, for, for folks that don't know, you know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And you might see the NFL and others wearing pink. 
Um, so uh, again, Dr. Jeffers, just thanks for making yourself available. We're towards the end of the show today. Um, at St. John's, I know you guys are always looking for good good leaders, good nurses. Mm -hmm. uh, quick opportunity for you to plug any uh, opportunities there at St. John's for, for the healthcare audience today. Yeah, I would say that, you know, as we were just saying earlier, I volunteered here when I was in high school. It's a great to be back in this community. And St. John's to me, even then was like an extended family. So even before the pandemic, but definitely after what we've all been through. And I think we saw the difference it made to reach across all parts of the hospital, the community, the healthcare to do what we were all passionate about. And if you believe in that type of mission and you want to make an impact every day, we definitely welcome you. And we look forward to working with you. We're as, as many parts of the healthcare system across the country, there are many opportunities here, many open positions that, um, there, that are out there. And we look forward to getting to know you if you're interested in helping us to spread that you know, it sounds hokey when I say it, but helping us to spread that human kindness, which is our slogan in a world that, as we all know, really need it right now, all the time, but especially right now. And here, as I hope you've heard and we've talked about, you know, we want to treat our patients as a whole person. Um, we want to be on the cutting edge. In fact, we didn't really get to talk about it, but, you know, we have probably the uh, only uh, tech uh, Mozart system here in our OR for our breast cancer patients and Savvy Scout here. So, I mean, there are things here that we are really um, passionate about. And if you're interested in that too, I would love to meet with you and to work with you. Awesome. And how can folks, uh, let's say they are interested in, in seeing what the openings are, what's the best way to do that? Um, on the Dignity Health uh, Common Spirit website there, you can actually click on and do a search based on the type of openings you're looking for and the type of positions you're looking for. It's okay. just out there for public. Okay, great. And then uh, Dr. Jeffers, um, are you active on social media? If people want to kind of follow you and what you're up to, what's the best way to do that? So I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, some up to varying degrees. Um, but basically my handle is Dr. Lynn Jeffers. So D-R-L-Y-N-N-J-E-F-F-E-R-S on all of all four, basically. Great having you on the show. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, and folks, again, it's October when, when this comes out. So feel free if you know anybody in your life. Um, that has been a survivor, just like Dr. Jeffers. Um, please honor them, remember them, love them, and spread that awareness. Um, again, yeah. Dr. Lynn Jeffers, Chief Medical Officer, as one of many hats that she wears, uh, has joined us today. Thanks again, Dr. Jeffers. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.